Amen. Can we bring a sacrifice of praise to the Lord tonight? Regardless of how you feel or how your day went, come on and let's lift up his name. Come on, you that are watching by streaming right where you are in your tired body, bring that tired body. Come on and bring it as a living sacrifice unto the Lord, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. We give you praise tonight, God, and we give you thanks. Hallelujah, for the Lord is good. Amen. If you have your Bibles, would you go to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 3. Again, thank all of you for being here in God's house. I just want to come alongside Molly and just say that please remember to get an Easter invite card. And you know what? Your invitation could change someone's eternity. That's right. Your invitation could change someone's eternity. And so invite your family and friends. We're going to have a great day. And also, I just want to say that this grief share has been a long time in coming. This is something that Sister Danette Hollingsworth has approached me about last year. And I have thought that it is a wonderful thing. And now I think Sister Lisa is going to come alongside Danette. And together they're going to offer this because there's a lot of stress in our world. There's a lot of grief in our world. And I believe that this book has the answer, amen, for our grief and for our problems. And so if you want to be a part of that, you can see Sister Danette Hollingsworth after service and Lisa. Also, I just want to make known my our dear friend and a wonderful board member, Brother Lonnie Bowyer. He retired, I believe, as of today. And so congratulations on your retirement. I will tell you, if you don't know Brother Lonnie, let me just tell you, there's not a finer man walking in shoe leather than Lonnie Bowyer. A man of integrity, loves God, loves his wife, loves his children, loves this church. And they are major supporters of this church in many, many, many ways. And so, congratulations. I hope I get to see you again in the next six months. This man and his wife, they enjoy hunting and they love Wyoming. And if you've ever been there, you know why they love it. Because there's no roaches, no bugs, no mosquitoes. It's cool. It's beautiful. It's picturesque. I mean, when God went to Yellowstone, he stayed there a while. Yes, he did, because it's absolutely beautiful. But we'll, we'll love seeing you every time we get to. But congratulations to you. Galatians chapter 3. And we're going to look at verse 10. Of course, we're excited about Easter. And I don't know how many of you have been able to go to the website and see the devotions on the website. Hadn't that been good? So, Brother David and Sister Michelle, thank you. I know they're watching tonight. Thank you for putting that together. And by the way, tomorrow, Brother David gets a report from the doctor on his leg. And so, uh, they would love to be here Easter. But I told him, let's don't think short term. Let's think long term. Because God's got a work for us to do in De Quincey. And uh, we understand this is not a sprint. It's a marathon. But we'll see what happens. Here is Galatians chapter 3 and verse 10. Are you ready? For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. 
For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Lord, help us tonight just to speak your word and may it edify, equip, and encourage the body of Christ. And God, take this seed and may it bring forth fruit in due season in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody say amen. God bless you. you. can be seated. I'm going to talk tonight about why did Jesus come to die? Why did Jesus come to die? Of course, this is Passion Week leading up to Easter. And so what did Christ achieve by his death and why did he have to suffer so much? Here's one reason. Because there is a curse hanging over each and every sin. Do you understand what we just wrote? Well, we didn't write it, but the word of God, what we read that is written to us, it says, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. So here is the deal. If you've ever broken one commandment in God's eyes, you've broken all the commandments. If you've ever done one thing wrong in God's eyes, you've done everything wrong. And so that's the way that God sees it. So I want you to understand that there is a curse over every sin that we have ever committed. And so the reason why that God had to come to this earth, one of the reasons is because God did not want us living under the curse of the law. He did not want us living under the curse of sin. So if you keep reading, if you go down to, I believe it is, verse 13 of Galatians 3, it says this. It says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. In other words, Jesus had to come and die for us if he was going to remove the curse of the law that was hanging over us. Right? And so, brothers and sisters, I just want to remind you, if you don't have anything else to give God praise for, it was because we were all cursed. And yet Jesus came and he, he did it willfully he died upon a tree so that he could remove the curse of sin off of every one of our lives and that we could live the abundant life through what he did for us at Calvary. So if you don't have anything else to praise God about, praise him that even though you live in a sin broken world, you are not cursed by sin, but you have been redeemed through Christ, through the death and the burial and his resurrection. See what we don't realize and understand that every sin must be judged. Oh, that's just a little white lie. That's not how God sees it. See, we categorize sins. Oh, murder is bad. Adultery is bad. Oh man, if you, you know, if, if you cheat on your taxes, that's, that's bad. If, if, you know, we categorize sins and I understand there are some sins that hurt us worse than others. So I get that. But in God's eyes, sin is sin. Right? 
There are some sins that we do that hurt us worse than others, but in God's eyes, every sin must be judged. And for God not to judge every sin would mean he is unjust. And so we don't really think, oh, I just told a white lie. That's really no big deal. It really didn't hurt anybody. But the truth of the matter is this. Your sin condemns you and God has to judge it because it is sin. And yet Jesus came to earth so that his blood could cover every one of our sins and we would not have to serve the penalty of our sin by going to hell. Does that make sense? Because there is a curse hanging over us called sin and God is just. Not to punish sin would be unjust. And so this is why He became a curse so that we are not cursed, so that we can walk in blessings. So now, can I keep going on? See, God's law demanded that you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. It wasn't a suggestion. Can I say it again? These are not the ten suggestions. These are the ten commandments. God didn't suggest you come in on a Wednesday night and say, well, if I feel like it, I'll praise him. He said, bring the sacrifice of praise. Right? It's not a matter of how you feel. You have to learn how to deal with how you feel. You may be tired, but God is no less God. He is not worshipped how you feel. He is worshipped based off of who he is and based off of what he has done. Because he gives us the command. What is the command? I want you to love me with everything you've got. With your heart, with your soul, with your mind, with your strength. That's all of you. Right? Okay. But how many will agree with me? We haven't always done that. The rest of you are not telling the truth. We have, we have all at times loved other things. Right? And that's what sin is. Dishonoring God by preferring other things over Him. He wants to be first. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. How do I seek Him first? I seek Him first in my daily life through prayer. I seek Him first in my marriage. I seek Him first in my finances. I seek Him first when I'm going to make a decision. If I do this, that's a little gray. Should I do that? What's the wise thing to do? I want to go back to the principles of God's Word. There's some things you do even to your own hurt. But you do them because it's right. Did y'all just get that? Did I lose you on that? Okay. See, serving God is not always easy. If it was easy, everybody would be doing it. All right? So you make, you make sure every day that your life is lining up with the Word of God. Now, here's what sin is. Sin is putting anything else above God that dishonors Him. Therefore, failure to love him is not trivial, it is treason. 
I'm going to say that again. Therefore, failure to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength is not trivial. Well, God understands. No, it's treason. It's not trivial. God does not. He loves us, right? He loves us, but he has made a command. I want you to love me with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. And when we don't do it, God sees that we are putting our flesh or whatever else above him. And then our sin defames God and it destroys human happiness. Our sin defames God and it destroys human happiness. Every sin, I want y'all to get this, every sin that we commit is is an attempt to fly from emptiness. I'm going to say that again. Every sin that we commit is an attempt to fly from emptiness. What do you mean? Okay. There's a such thing as the Holy Spirit. When we don't have the Holy Spirit, we try these spirits. Right. There is no better high than him. But when we're not high on him, we get high on other things. Right. When we don't have intimacy with him, then we're looking for intimacy in someone. And this is why people can jump from this to this to this to this. Are you reading between the lines? We jump from this bedroom to this bedroom to this bedroom. We're looking for intimacy that only God can give us. See, this is why God wants you to love him with everything. Because if you don't love him with everything, then you'll fill yourself with anything. And then what God does is God lifts you up. Everything else takes you down. This is why people drown themselves in the bottom of a bottle. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is not the one comforting them. Did that make sense? Can I keep going? Okay, and so then what happens is, is our sin defames God and it takes away human happiness. And since God is just, he can't just sweep these crimes under the rug because he's just. So he's got to judge them and he feels a holy wrath. Y'all got to get this. God feels a holy wrath against every sin that we commit. And every sin we commit deserves to be punished. And until we get the revelation of how much God hates sin, we'll take it lightly. Okay. Can I keep going? Now, this it gets better. Okay, I know it's a little heavy right now, but it gets better. Okay, here's Romans three and twenty-five. There's this word; it's called propitiation. Okay, and, and that's a big word. But what does propitiation means? It refers to the removal of God's wrath by a substitute. Okay. Propitiation means this. It's God's wrath is removed by a substitute. And the substitute was God himself. The substitute was Jesus Christ. Now, it may it may sound like that I believe in three gods as I kind of teach this lesson. I do not believe in three gods. I believe in three manifestations of one God. The three are one. Okay, I do believe in the Father. I believe in the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. But these three are one. Just as when you call Wayne, you get the Father, you get the Son. You get the nephew, you get the uncle, 
you get the pastor, you get the preacher, and whatever else, whatever other few things that I can do, you get all of that when you call my name. If you want the father, you don't say, hey, father, come here, because then what father's coming? Hey, son, come here, then what son is coming? So this is why, oh, I'm going to get off on this. See, listen, I, 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 I believe in Jesus' name baptism. Why? Because when I say his name, when I say his name, then I'm getting the Father. I'm getting the Son. I'm getting the Holy Spirit. Because they're all three in one in different manifestations. Does that make sense? You say, well, the highest authority is Jesus. And Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19, go therefore and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So since Jesus said it, it's higher than what anybody else says. I get that. But if I said, please, Jeff, go shut those doors, and you said back to me, please, Jeff, go shut those doors, did you obey the command or repeat the command? <laughs> yeah, you're getting it. If he repeats back to me what I just said, he just repeated he didn't obey. Because the Bible says, Jesus speaking, I have come in my Father's name. Right? So if I'm going to obey it, it doesn't say baptized in the titles, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because that's what they are. They're titles. It says baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's why we baptize in Jesus' name, because we are not just parroting the command, we are obeying it. <laughs> Everybody okay? All right. So let's get back to our lesson. Now, until, until we stand in awe of being loved by God and we come to grips with the seriousness of our sin and the justice of his wrath against us, then we really won't even understand why we should praise God. Did that just make sense? When you take your sin lightly and you really don't understand. Now, I'm not trying to be heavy. What I am actually trying to do is show all of us the seriousness of our sin and the wrath because he is a just God. He has to come against sin. What can make us so joyful is knowing that we have received forgiveness of our sins. And even though we don't deserve it, thank God he didn't give us what we deserve. But he placed on Jesus what we deserve. And he placed on us what Jesus deserved. Did that just make sense? And that was the great exchange. So in other words, Jesus didn't deserve our sin because he was righteous. But Jesus took our sin and he imputed to us his righteousness. Now, when I do sin, I have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, who is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why? Because of what he did on the cross. Does that make sense? Okay, look at 1 John 4 and 10. This is such a powerful scripture. And this is love. See, not that we love God. See, this goes back to, no, 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 you didn't find God. 
I know we say that, man, I found God on April the 19th, 19 and, you know, 45. I know what you mean, but you didn't find God because God was never lost. He found you. You didn't love God first. I'm sorry. I know what you meant, but God loved you first. Here is the scripture, and this is love. Not that we love God. You know why? Because we all wanted to go our own way. Human nature wants to do its own thing. Human nature is prideful. It says, I don't need God. So we didn't love God, but God loved us and sent his son to be the wrath-absorbing propitiation for our sins. In other words, every sin that we committed has God's wrath attached to it. But Jesus absorbed all of that wrath so that God wouldn't put the wrath on us. And instead of putting his wrath on us, he puts his love on us. And he draws us by his great love. And so when we come into the house of God, even when we've had a bad day and we haven't done it all just right, we can still come boldly. Isn't that good? Now, can I keep going? See, Jesus did absolutely nothing wrong. And yet Jesus was willing to receive God's wrath. Look at Isaiah 53 and 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to bruise him. We say, who crucified him? The Jews? Who crucified him? Pilate? Who crucified him? It doesn't, that's not what's even important. I'm going to tell you who crucified him. You ready for this? God did. Who crucified Jesus? God did. Where did you get that? Because it was the will of the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. God used Pilate. And he used those Jews to carry out the plan that was predestined before the foundation of the world. So we don't need to be judgmental against the Jews because they really wasn't the one who crucified Jesus. Pilate really wasn't the one. It was God who foreordained Jesus to come to the earth because of his great love. Listen, if you don't think God loves you, you haven't read your Bible because God loves you so so much that he left heaven. He became poor that you might become rich. That's the scripture. It was God's will to bruise Jesus. It was God's idea. So why did Jesus come to die? See, the measure of God's love is showed to us by two things. Number one, the degree of his sacrifice in saving us from the penalty of our sin. And the other is the degree of unworthiness that we had when he saved us. Here's what Romans 5, 7, and 8 says. Perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So it's not because you did some good deeds and you were a good person. No, he died for you when you were a sinner. See, here's what I don't understand about Christians because we've been taught some stuff that's not people meant well, pastors meant well, preachers meant well, but it wasn't necessarily true. 
So what, what do you mean by that? Here's what I mean by that. Why did God love you so much as a sinner? And then once you get saved, he starts disliking you. It's because we caught you to be more sin conscious than God conscious. If God loved you while you were a sinner and you've come in and at least you're trying. Now, why would God get up all in arms about that? It's because it's not true. Because hold hold on to your seatbelt. Because what a lot of ministers have done, and they meant well, and I'm not throwing any stones, but what they meant well is is they meant to put up some fences because they didn't want you to step outside of this zone because they didn't want you to sin. I get it. Their intention was good. But what starts happening is, is we start ruling people by fear. And now we start making people afraid of God. And oh, if you step outside of this, God's going to get you. Let me just remind you of something. Brothers and sisters, if God wanted to get you, he could have got you a long time ago. Right? It's not that God's intent is to get you. God's intent is to save you. His intent is to love you. His intent is for you to have a future and a purpose. His intent is good for you. God doesn't get involved with you to decrease you. He gets involved with you to increase you. And so all of this fear and this control is meant well. It meant well. They meant well because they didn't want you to sin. I get it. But in the meantime, what we have done is, is we have taught people to fear God and not in the sense of reverence. And so now what we have done is, is we have made you more sin conscious than God conscious. Does that make sense? Y'all still with me? I see you got to understand God loved us when we were sinners. And even though we mess up as saints, he still loves us. We deserved divine punishment, and yet we got a divine sacrifice. Can I say it again? What we deserved was divine punishment, and yet Jesus came and was our divine sacrifice. And so someone said, God didn't die for frogs. God didn't die for frogs. And what this person was trying to say was, is they were trying to say that Jesus died for us because we as humans have value. That's what they were trying to say. But hold on to your seatbelt. The deal is, is we're worse off than frogs because frogs have never sinned. Are you with me? Frogs have never rebelled and treated God with contempt and said, God, you're unimportant. We have. So for Jesus to die for us is not really a response to our worth. It is the overflow of his divine love. He paid the highest price possible to give us the greatest gift possible. I'm not trying to belittle any of us. I'm just saying that cows don't sin and frogs don't sin. People sin. So it wasn't because of our great value that Jesus came. It was because of his overflowing love for humanity. He loves you. 
He loves you in your sin. He loves you when you're trying to do right. He loves you when you have messed up. Why? Because nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Did all that make sense? Okay. So, are you ready? I got a few more minutes. Now, why did Jesus come to die? Because it's real silly, brothers and sisters, to think that our good deeds may one day outweigh our bad deeds. Okay? So it's like we think, here's how we think. Well, this is on a scale, and if I do enough good deeds, then it's going to outweigh my bad deeds. Right? Man, if I can just do enough good. First of all, it's not true. Because even in our good deeds, many times our good deeds are defective. We can even do some good things even for the wrong reason. Mm-hmm. Y'all know it's the truth and the rest of y'all ought to be shaking your head. Yes. I'm going to say it again. Even our good deeds can be defective because we don't always honor God even in our good deeds. And second, good deeds are not the way that God saves us. Thank you. We are saved from the consequences of our bad deeds. If we are saved from the consequences of our bad deeds, it will not be because they weighed less than our good deeds. It will be because the record of our debt in heaven has been nailed to the cross. I know I'm repeating myself, but you got to get this. Your good deeds don't outweigh your bad deeds. All of your deeds have been nailed to the cross. There is no salvation by balancing the records. There's only salvation by canceling the records. You did not get that. There's only salvation by canceling the records. Jesus put his blood over every sin that you have ever committed. And when God looks at your record, he says it's canceled because the blood of Jesus washes you white as snow. Come on, somebody, and give God praise. See, thank you. See, our bad deeds must be blotted out, not balanced. I'm going to say it again. Our bad deeds must be blotted out, not balanced. The cancellation happened when the record of our deeds was nailed to the cross. Let me read you a powerful scripture in Colossians 2 and 14. Here it is. I want you to see this up on the screen. Colossians 2 and 14. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. What's he talking about? The law, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way. Doing what? Having nailed it to the cross. You said, Brother Neelan, I've read my Bible numerous times and I didn't ever see any parchments nailed to the cross. What is that talking about? It's not talking about a physical parchment nailed to the cross. It's talking about literally your sins were nailed to Jesus because Jesus was nailed to the cross. He took every one of your sins. 
Every sin that has ever been committed since Adam was rode to Calvary. And every sin that will ever be committed until the day of the rapture is rode back to Calvary. That's why Jesus, the Bible says, his face was marred more than any other man because he literally took every sin of rape, of murder, of abuse, of molestation, every curse word, every idle word, every filthy and vulgar thought, everything you can ever think of, Jesus nailed it to himself on the cross. And if you don't have anything else to give God praise for, you need to give him praise that your record of bad deeds and your sins have been nailed to the cross isn't that powerful my goodness he is my salvation thank you Jesus thank you Jesus that's why we shouldn't come in here and just patty cake and say well I don't know if Jesus loves me Sweetheart, please read your Bible again. He loves you with an unbelievable, unrelenting, unfathomable love. Even on your bad days, even when you don't do it right, even when you make a C- minus on your report card, He loves you. See, this is what I want to keep being like water on a rock. I want to get it to where you're not serving God out of fear. You're serving him out of love. You're serving God out of love. I remember one time my dad told me, he said, Wayne, the Holy Ghost spoke to me so forcefully. He said, as, as plain as I've ever heard it. And he said this. He said, the, the Lord spoke to me and said this. Nelson, if my love can't hold you, then nothing else will. Because here's what I found out. If I got to scare you to get you in the altar, then I got to up it next week to scare you more to keep you in the altar. But if you ever fall in love with Jesus and realize how much he loves you and what he did to save you, I'm going to tell you, I don't have to get up here on Sundays with pom-poms and say, come on, Pentecostals, praise him. When you get a revelation of how much God loves you, I tell you, your hands are going to go up and you're going to say, God, I can't believe that you love me the way you do blows my mind. Blows my mind. This is why I don't understand why Pentecostals get their nose up in the air. Can I preach? This is why I don't understand why we get all haughty and totty because we're saved. Do you realize that every good gift comes from the Father above? Can I break it down for you? It means this good gift called my wife, God sent her to me. The car I drive, God blessed us with. The house we live in and the bed we sleep on and the clothes we wear and the eyes to see and the ears to hear and be able to walk across this stage. It's all a gift from God. I mean, the old Andre Crouch song comes in my mind. Tell me, where would I be if Jesus hadn't saved me? Where would I be if he didn't care? Where would I be if he hadn't sacrificed his life? Oh, but I'm glad. So glad he did. This is why I come alongside you again and say, Christians, please get your nose out in the air. Because had it not been for the grace of God, where would you be tonight? Where would I be tonight? 
Do you understand? You're looking at some men. Some of these men that have come through the whole house have literally slept under the bridge. <sighs> have literally slept under the bridge. But you know what? Guys, God loves you just as much as He loves Sister June. And she's not going to get to heaven one second quicker than you get to heaven. In fact, my Bible tells me the last shall be first and the first shall be last. My Bible also tells me the person that worked just a few little 30 minutes got the same reward as the person who took the heat of the day. See, I, that don't sound fair because you don't understand the way God thinks. Huh. Come on, somebody. All right, can I, you know, can I keep going? I'm almost, I'm almost done. See, there's, there's no thought in the Bible that Satan had to be paid off to let sinners be saved. I'm going to say that again. There is no verse or thought in the Bible that Satan had to be paid off to let sinners be saved. What happened to Satan when Christ died was not payment, it was defeat. I'm going to say that again. Jesus didn't pay Satan off. He defeated him. And he bought us with his own blood. Here's Hebrews 2 and 14. The Son of God became human so that, here it is, that through His death He might destroy, come on, the one who had the power of death, that is the devil. God didn't negotiate with the devil. His death, His burial, and His resurrection was a total defeat. And I've got to recant something I said. Here about three or four weeks ago, I said the two most powerful beings in the universe, God and Satan. Actually, that's wrong. There's only one powerful being, and that is Jesus Christ. The other being is a fallen angel. He is a fallen angel that only has the power of suggestion and it's up to you to believe the lie. But he cannot make you drink. He cannot make you smoke. He cannot keep you out of the house of God. He can make a suggestion and then you have to allow the lie to penetrate your mind and start believing it. Okay, so I want to make the record straight. Satan is a defeated foe and Jesus Christ defeated him and stripped him and made a show of him openly. Are you with me now? So it was no negotiation. He freely chose to rescue us, Jesus did, at the cost of his life. That's why Jesus came to die. Look at Ephesians 1 and 7 and we'll wrap this up. In him... Look at this verse, Ephesians 1 and 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Okay. Now, when we forgive a debt or an offense or an injury, we don't require payment for settlement. I'm going to say that again. When we forgive a debt or an offense or an injury, we don't require payment for settlement. If payment is made to us for what we have lost, there is no need for forgiveness. Did you get it? Okay. Forgiveness then assumes grace. If I am injured by you, grace lets it go. I don't sue you. I forgive you. 
Grace gives what someone doesn't deserve. That's why forgiveness has the word give in it. All right, I'm going to rewind that. The reason why forgiveness has the word give in it, because forgiveness is not getting even. It is giving away the right to get even. So I am in my forgiveness, I am giving away my right to get even. So here's the tricky part. Society and the universe at large cannot hold together if judges or God simply say to every murderer and rapist, are you sorry? And they look and say, yes. And then the judges say, okay, the state forgives you. You may go. In cases like these, we see that while a victim may have a forgiving spirit, the state cannot forsake justice. I'm going to break that down. If somebody has been murdered, even though their family member may say, I forgive you, the state just can't let them go free. Even if the murderer says, I am sorry, I cannot believe I did what I did. I am so sorry. The state still demands justice for their evil deed. Are you with me? And we'll wrap this up. So it is with God's justice. All sin is serious because it's against God. And his justice will no more allow us to set us free than a human judge can cancel all the debts that criminals owe to society. So if we criminals are to go free and be forgiven, God's honor must be upheld even though sinners are being set free. Okay, I'm going to bring this home. So what do you mean? God does not hold our sins against us because it cost Jesus his life. And his blood made it right for God to do this. That's why we call it grace. So being justified before God and being forgiven by God are not identical. You know, I got to wrap this up. Being forgiven implies that I am guilty and my crime is not counted. Being justified implies I have been tried and found innocent. And the judge says, not guilty. So the verdict of justification does not make a person just. It declares a person just. Okay, I know this is a little deep, but stay with me. Justification is declaring, even though this person is not innocent, it declares them innocent. It declares them just, just as if they had never done it. So when you come to God and say, Jesus, I believe in the atoning work that you did for me at Calvary. Jesus, I believe that your your blood has washed all of my sins and you receive his spirit. God justifies you and looks at you as if you have never committed one sin in your entire life. 
Mm. Does that make sense? He declares you are righteous. Now, the ordinary way for us humans to be justified in a human court of law is if you keep the law, right? If you keep the law, then the court will justify you. But in God's courtroom, we have not kept the law. So justification in God's courtroom is basically hopeless. But here's what the Bible says, and y'all, I'm about done. Proverbs 17 and 15. Here's what it says. He who justifies the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm fixing to bring you something here. Proverbs 17 and 15. He who justifies the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. Now, here is Romans 4 and 5. God justifies the ungodly. So how is it not an abomination for God to justify the ungodly? Here's how. Because Christ shed his blood to cancel the guilt of our crimes. And so we are justified by his blood. But that is only the removal of guilt. That does not declare us righteous. So first, the death of Christ paid the debt of our unrighteousness. And second, the obedience of Christ provided the righteousness we need to be justified in God's court. So not only did his blood save us, but ladies and gentlemen, his righteousness was imputed to us as righteousness. And our sin was imputed to Christ and he became our pardon. Come on, musicians, I got to stop. And Christ's righteousness is imputed to us. And guess what? He became our perfection. That's why we got to keep saying in Christ. I am in Christ. I am in Christ. So both the work of pardoning our sins and the work of providing our righteousness is one reason why we need to praise him. Oh, thank God. Do you receive God's word tonight? Do you receive his word? Would you stand with me? Thank you for being such a great, wonderful group of people to receive God's word. I, I just tell you, if that don't light your fire, your wood's wet, man. If that don't ring your bell, your clapper's broke. I'm just telling you right now, that fires me up. Man, I get in my office and I'm studying this and I start. I'm like, if nobody else is blessed by it, I'm blessed already by it. See, this is why we all got to remember when we come into this house, we don't deserve to be here. We don't deserve to be here. But he made us worthy. How? Through his shed blood. I wasn't righteous, but when I believed in what Jesus did for me at the cross and I received his spirit, he made me righteous. Now we are the righteousness of God in Christ. Father, I just thank you for your word. Thank you that one day you came over the crest of that hill riding on a donkey. And God, it wasn't coming to conquer Rome it was coming to conquer the sins of the world Lord we thank you for this week of passion 
We thank you for everything that you have done for us at Calvary. And Lord, as we come Sunday, we're not coming to have cute church. Because cute church can't help us and it can't heal us. But Lord, we come seeking God, you and your demonstration and your presence so that the hurting can be healed and that the lost can be found and that the broken can be mended. And we know, God, that you can do that as we lift you up. Because here's what your word says. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. I'm going to say this to you in closing as you look at your pastor. That's a twofold process. Listen, if we'll lift him up, he'll do the drawing. I understand that is talking about Jesus and his death. I get that. I'm not taking it out of context. Okay. But I also think that it can mean as we lift him up and as we remind ourselves of the finished work of Calvary, as we're lifting him up and thanking him, then his presence once again manifests itself and it begins to draw people. This is why we need the presence of God in every service. We don't have a Sunday to waste. Maybe you miss a meal. Maybe you miss a meal tomorrow for Easter. Because I want to tell you something. I don't want to come here Sunday and just look all dialed up and cute. I want the presence of the Lord to meet people so that they want to come back and feel it again. Okay. I'm trying to wrap this up. But you know what? We say, ah... You know, we don't need to get too emotional. And, and I understand what you're saying. But you know what? You know why people go to a concert and don't just stay home? They go to the concert. They pay the money. They fight the crowds. They pay for parking. It's because they want that experience. When they come to this house, we want them to experience the presence of all mighty God.